Welcome to Replant Boot Camp, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters. With your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart, here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Stick around to the end of the podcast for a special offer from 180 for Replant Bootcamp podcast listeners only. Here we are at episode four. We've had a question turned in. They couldn't join us on the podcast. We've tried to make it as easy as possible. You can literally, you can text messages, you can call and leave a voicemail, you can message us on any social media platform, or you can email us. And the email address is replantbootcamp at gmail.com. We got a question here from Wesley Lassiter. He texted us and he said, hey guys, enjoyed the intro episode of the podcast. My name is Wesley Lassiter. We are preparing to launch our replant at the end of September. My question concerning church document. We have voted to get rid of the old documents and will seek to write new bylaws, constitution, etc. How early in the process should this be done and what would be considered taking too long to complete? Thanks. All right. Well, a couple of things. One is it sounds like they've already done it. <laughs> they got rid of the documents. Not meaning to laugh at the you know process or anything. Um, uh, this actually, um, I was at a state convention meeting. I was talking to a guy, and he was saying, "Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm about to be called as a revitalization pastor to this church, and the first thing I want to do is to uh, change the bylaws." <laughs> I was like whoa, hold on there. Tap the brakes a little bit. If you are a fan of Mondays with Mark, with Mark Clifton, he did an episode a couple of weeks back that was probably one of the better episodes that I've listened to. Um, All of them are great, but I was like, man, he's just really on uh, on this one. He was talking about uh, when your governance hinders your the progress and the forward movement of your church. And so I don't want to repeat all of that, but, but Mark just had some great insights. And I think by and large, it is helpful to address the bylaws and the documents specifically when they're impeding ministry. This is my vacuum cleaner story, and it's a true story. When I first went to the church that I replanted, we had business meeting on Wednesday nights, and we had to have a quorum there. And there's always a debate on how many people composed a quorum to have business. Right. And it was a dark November night, and it was cold, and there was kind of the threat of like bad weather. And we only had about six people there and it was determined that we didn't have a quorum, so we couldn't conduct business. And we only came together, we only had a meeting once a month and the only Wednesday night that we met, we'd have a prayer meeting or, you know, that sort of thing, but we just had a business meeting once a month. And so our janitor the previous week said, hey, the vacuum cleaner's not working. It's burnt up, you know, it's this old vacuum cleaner. I need to get a new one. And so can you, can you guys get me a new one? And I was like, sure. And so I found out that the dollar amount was just a little bit over what, what any of us could approve on our own. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, just uh, the, the, jan- the janitorial company would let her borrow the vacuum uh, that she needed, but we had to approve the purchase of it. So we show up in November and we can't approve the purchase of a vacuum because we don't have a quorum. That is when I realized the way we're doing business is not working yeah. uh, to meet the needs for a church. So if you've got a situation like that, that happens over and over and over, you probably need to address the bylaws. Now, I guess the big question would be, how far do you go? And do you do some kind of temporary change, et cetera? So, right. um, you know, we can talk some about some of that. But I think, first of all, I think what I would say is legally, you have to have bylaws. Right. Um, and you, it's wise to have policies. Like you, you can't just roll into a place. And the first thing you show up and, and say and do is, hey, we're going to get rid of the bylaws, especially if you're replanting from within. Now, in your case, you were, um, you, you were part of a larger 
church system, like kind of a multi-site church or a campusing kind of. So did you operate under their bylaws or did you guys have your own or how did that work? Before I even got there, they had already taken on Hyde Park as a campus, Hibernia mm-hmm. Baptist Church had, and they had already adopted their bylaws. Prior to my arrival, though, the previous bylaws, every purchase over $100 Whoa. required a church vote with a quorum and it had to pass by a 75% majority. My goodness. I I remember uh, there were some things that just needed to be painted that obviously had not been painted in a really long time. We had like some metal poles that went on a walkway from building to building were just rusted and uh, I mean, just really bad shape. And so I sanded them down and repainted them myself. I remember the chairman of the deacons coming by and he he was actually, it was one change. He was actually really excited to see me doing it because he could never get the vote through 75% to spend the money to sand those down to they were going to hire somebody to sand them down paint them i was able to do it for under a hundred dollars doing the labor myself but he was just excited to see those poles finally get painted it man that's crazy so i think one of the things is bylaws are helpful for accountability and process but they are sometimes constructed in such a way that it hinders ministry uh, because i how, how in the world did that church ever order sunday school material right before you know, those sorts of things. And, and I think it makes sense to remove some of the obstacles and the hindrances, but you also have to have some guide rails for accountability. So I think, for, first of all, you got to have some structure of governing documents in place. And then here's the second thing. Most churches, most declining churches are not really operating by their bylaws anyway. Right. That's the thing, that the members of the declining church who are, you know, the bylaws are super important to them they don't realize that they're not operating by their bylaws and they're violating them on a regular basis. And so one of the the conversations to have is, Hey guys, we are not operating by our bylaws anyway. It's a, it's a structure that doesn't fit us. It doesn't work for us, et cetera. Helping church members realize that and not just be selective and and applying, Hey, we're going to follow the bylaws here and we're, not here because we can't any longer. That opens up a conversation to how can we be consistent in our uh, following the, the documents that help us make decisions. You know, I've got a friend leading a, uh, a it's not a replant, it's a revitalization of a, a pretty good sized church. They were changing their bylaws after he's been there for a little while. And he, he honestly did a pretty good process of bringing the people in on it and let them give them plenty of time for it. But according to their previous bylaws, Uh, He found himself in a situation where what we would call an inactive church member really tried to throw a cog in the wheel as hard as he could to the point that uh, that guy, the inactive church member, hired a lawyer and has sued every member of the leadership of that church individually, like sued them individually uh, in the process because of the way that they voted the bylaws in didn't fit something the way he defined it or something. The large majority of the church is, is very supportive, very much likes the way that the by, new bylaws are written. Like as a whole, it's a very good thing. But this one guy is utilizing the old bylaws to throw as many cogs in the wheel as he possibly can. Man, that is crazy. And, and see, that's the thing is I think you, you get somebody who, and here's the deal. I want to be careful in saying this, but the, the, some folk, you know, take, take a role in a declining church. Some folks who, who have been there a long time kind of have adopted this mindset of I'm here to be the, uh, the only vote that always is no, or I'm always going to question the process just because I want to keep everybody accountable, right? And so they adopt that position and they, here's the deal. They are experts on the bylaw, right? 
one of the things I would say to the replanter, revitalizer is you have to be an expert on the existing bylaws and governing documents yep. that exist so that you know how to respond. And one of the challenging aspects of it, and we hear this all the time and I've experienced it when we've consulted, is if you don't define who can participate in the decision-making process, you can get a situation where people come in and you've heard it maybe in Bible college or seminary where people come in who are brought in or bust in or told to come in yep. and save the church or to vote this thing down by people who are inside the church. They, so they go and they, they get all the inactive members or the people who are on the roll. And if you haven't specified who gets to vote and who doesn't get to vote, you might find yourself in a really hard place. Those are some things to think about and understand. There's, um, there's just a challenge there. I think the other thing I would say is legally, you need to have your documents and your policies reviewed by a lawyer just to make sure that you guys are, you know, that, that your church is operating in a, in a way that's legal before the state, you know, any kind of uh, regulations that you guys need to have. So you, you've got to have some governing documents. I don't know where, how, is, how it is where you are, Bob, but here in Florida, the Florida Baptist Convention has a, a lawyer on retainer for Florida Baptist Convention churches general legal counsel. I mean, if, if you got to mm -hmm. go to a court case and things like that, you're going to need to hire him. So you may want to talk to your local associational leader, your state convention leaders, and see if you, if, if, if you're within Southern Baptist or your denominational leaders and figure out if there's within your network of churches, is there already a, a lawyer, a resource or something like that? I mean, the idea of writing bylaws and legal documents is so daunting and scary. Uh, most pastors never went to law school. And <laughs> yes, it's so, uh, man, you, you reach out and get some help. Yeah, I think most state, you're right. Most state conventions, I think ours does as well. And if not, you know, uh, email us. Maybe we can get you in contact with the state convention uh, rep that we know. And maybe they could, they, they know of a peer somewhere. Right. Uh, but yeah, do get that legal consultation. That's up. One of the things Brian Croft says, and I think this is really important, is he says, but before you rewrite the bylaws, why don't you work on transitioning the culture in your church mm. to operate the way you hope that it will and you want it to, and then do the bylaws, then, yep. then address the bylaws. And so That's really, what, really good. what we're addressing here more than anything else is the cultural aspect of how churches make decisions, how they trust leaders how they practice accountability. And the reality is that if your church votes an annual budget in every year for ministry, yeah. then you have basically empowered, and this is the way I kind of look at, and we, we communicated this with our church. When you vote the budget, you vote in a ministry plan and you vote in permission for the, the teams or the committees or whoever it is that has oversight over that budget line. You give them permission to operate within that budget line, right? And yeah. so... We, we just have to help our people understand, look, we've, we've elected these leaders or we've selected them or they've been appointed in some process. We want to trust them and we want to give them freedom to lead because it's so frustrating for, for leaders to come to a meeting and have somebody throw a wrench in the process and ask them to get more bids or ask them if they consider this issue. And I'm not against asking questions to clarify the decision-making process. But, right. if, but if you're showing up to a meeting and some and the committee's worked hard or a team has worked hard and somebody just wants to blow it up just because they can, that creates a lot of frustration and, and a lot of division in the church. So work on the culture to help the people understand how, how leadership uh, is lived out in your congregation and how we are to respond to leaders and operating from a place of trust, not suspicion. I think those are 
are some important things. Uh, another thing I think is, is if you're in a process like, like uh, Wesley is here, it sounds like some decisions have been made up front, not knowing the type of replant uh, that he is, um, that he's involved in, whether it's a campus or a replant from within. If he could just have some simple transitional bylaws that incorporate some of the operating principles from maybe the existing ones they set aside or, you know, incorporate some from, from other churches that he's seen that, that have been helpful just a scaled back version that serves as a temporary guide to how the church makes decisions and does business and all those sorts of things. And even put a kind of a time frame on it to say, you know, within the next year uh, to two years, we're going to draft bylaws. And so this is a temporary provisional way that we're going to make decisions. We've actually, in the associational replanting guide that you can find on churchreplanters.com, we actually have a whole process that uh, that we used in our church that explains why we needed a, a transitional governance, what teams and committees we were going to keep, and right. then what we were going to do. So if you're looking for a template to get to advise you on some ways that it might be done, you could use that as, as some background information that might be helpful to you. So simple transitional bylaws, get some legal counsel, have them reviewed by that membership process and, and the idea of covenant membership is sometimes one of the most important and overlooked documents in there. Talk to us about the importance of covenant membership, how that helps guide everything. Well, according to most churches' bylaws, you can only hold members accountable to the bylaws. And membership must therefore be something that's important for you to understand who is a member and who is not a member. And I think this is really one of the most overlooked aspects of, of a church's governing documents or church's documents. What does it mean to be a member? What are the responsibilities of a member? Typically, if you, if you kind of pull up the average church bylaws, you'll find that, the, I think it was called the Baptist Sunday School Board before it was LifeWay. Right. They had a template for bylaws, and, and so people downloaded that. And in a section uh, in the, those bylaws, there's a, a conduct, a member's conduct, expectations guide, kind of a membership yeah. covenant. So to speak. I saw a picture on Instagram this week of somebody's meeting minutes mm -hmm. from 1921 about a member being disfellowshipped, charged with dancing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Baptists don't dance, you know, so <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was doing a consult last night with an older congregation and we were talking about uh, some of these things. And, you know, I said, as a good Baptist, you know, I grew up with the kind of this mantra from my mom that we don't drink dance, smoke, or chew, and we don't go with girls that do, right? right. So that's oh, yeah. kind of, that's the I've deal. Heard that. I've heard um, that. But, but in the membership covenant, there, there are these expectations that are clearly spelled out about participation, giving, and attendance, and all those sorts of things. And most Baptist churches that are in decline, their membership process went something along these lines. I attend the church for a while. I decide that I want to join. So I go forward and tell the pastor on a Sunday at the end of the service, at the invitation time, that I want to become a member. And then I'm asked the following questions. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Yes. Have you been baptized by immersion? Yes. Okay. Do you want to join this church? Yes. Okay. So that was typically the extent of the membership process. Now we have membership classes and we have, you know, membership interviews and those sorts of things. So I think, I think by and large, what we see is the church, many of the churches are making corrective efforts in terms of really understanding who their members were. And I think historically, what, what I understand is that, that churches did more in processing members, but we got lazy somewhere in the middle there yeah. where we might be receiving into membership somebody who is not truly regenerate. Right. They don't understand the responsibilities and privileges of membership. 
and they may have great number of doctrinal differences from us, especially if there was no process to, to examine those or to help them understand who we are before we receive them as members. And, and so I think that's one of the most overlooked processes. And, and maybe you correct Maybe you correct that by taking everybody through the covenant that exists, if it's a good covenant, a membership covenant, and teaching through that, asking everybody to reaffirm their membership, not saying that they have to, you know, we're, we're wiping the rolls clean. Some people do that, but maybe just asking them to reaffirm what, what the bylaws, the existing bylaws say. Yeah, uh, we did, we did wipe, we, we did wipe and ask everybody. Because when I got here, I remember, I think there was like 3,000 members on roll. Whoa. Wow. And we were averaging 30 people on Sunday morning. There was just like tons and tons and tons of people. And so we gave a six months notice and talked about it almost every Sunday. Sent out letters and, and the only people we automatically carried over was any shut-ins. Mm-hmm. But even then we gave them the opportunity to, if they wanted, if they didn't want to be a part then they could let us know, but we just let them know if we don't hear from you, then you'll remain on our membership role and, and part of our pastoral care. And we had a, a big event and, and for like four hours, talked through everything on the covenant and gave people an opportunity to sign um, and join and then gave them further opportunities to join as well. It was a really good cleanup of our, so now we have a very accurate membership role. Yeah, that's, that is so necessary. And I think even in some ways, we, we might need to understand, are there ways that we can value the historic membership of those who've been a part of this church long before I got here, right? So is there, you know, the, the term that's often used, is there a grandfathering in of existing members? Or is there a different kind of membership that, right. that you can receive the older members? Because here's the deal. When we go to replant a church and we tell uh, a founding member of that church who has given and served and loved and labored for that church, if we all of a sudden, the new guy within the first year go in and go, we're going to clean the rolls and all of you historic members, like that doesn't, what they hear is that my membership didn't count for anything. Right. And, And so I think we have to be wise in that. And I've seen some guys run off the cliff by just not being wise about that. And they lose the opportunity, they either lose the folks or they lose the opportunity to influence them or be their pastor. So I think we have to be clear, uh, be careful, and be wise about the membership covenant. So I would even elevate the membership covenant above addressing the bylaws. Because if we have a body that loves one another, that's pursuing Jesus, that's contributing and serving, living on mission and and practicing uh, walking with Jesus in their daily life, living a holy life, living uh, the life of a witness and a person that's missionally engaging, man, can you imagine if more folks in our church did those sorts of things? I think we'd be less worried about, and they would be less worried about the bylaws. Yep, absolutely. Membership covenant, then bylaws. And when you address the bylaws, one of the things I found is when we did that, we worked with a, a team in kind of processing that. And then when we were ready to present them to the congregation, we had a couple of scheduled meetings where we read through the bylaws. We mailed out the new bylaws. We mailed out copies. We gave everybody a, an opportunity to read them, to have a copy of them. And then we read through them and asked for questions and feedback. And we actually got some really, really good suggestions, how to rephrase things or things that we had not thought of that we needed to, to think of. That's we really did good. That. We did that for a couple of times. Uh, and then we held a vote uh, to affirm the new bylaws. Even after doing all those steps of writing and reading through and question and answer and change and adjusting, 
even after we voted our new bylaws in, we saw a couple of our folks leave the church that were there. It's hard to make any major change of any kind and not, I mean, you can, no matter how you lead it, it's just, you need to anticipate that you're, you're likely to lose some people with any major change. Yeah, and this, I was really sad to lose this couple. He, he was a, an elderly statesman of the church. He was a, a very wise man. I would go sit with him at his house when I was, you know, just trying to, one, just to, to visit with because I liked visiting with him. But when I was thinking of leading any change, I would go visit with him because whenever we were talking about any change or any question about are we doing this correctly, every head in the room would turn to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he was the influencer. I think for him, it was just a matter of the shifting away of some of the decision-making and leadership to a smaller group rather than the entire church was more than he was ready for. Yeah. Uh, and it was hard for him. But in practice, he was actually part of the smaller group that often made decisions for the church and carried the church. So, But his his perspective on it was just a little bit different and and again, I was sad to see him go, but I was thankful that he participated all the way through the process. Wesley, I hope that we've answered your question as well as we can. I hope it's been beneficial for others as well. Bob, is there a set chronological order, timeline, that you would say, man, this is kind of when you need to address that. This is too soon. This is too late. Uh, just some guys. One of the things that Wesley wanted was some, like, how do you, how do you know when it's time to address and change the bylaws. Yeah, I think just in, in review, if it's hindering the functioning of your church, you need to make some adjustments that allow the church to function in a way that's helpful for it to move forward. So we might not be talking about entire bylaw change, but an adjustment. That can I think, be transitional bylaws, yeah. that can be amendments yeah. or minor changes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it definitely needs to be addressed at some point, but it may, it, it may not be as urgent and immediate as many think it is. Yeah, typically I think what drives our desire to change the bylaws as replanters is we we want the church voting on the important things and not voting on everything. And so if there's a way to make that adjustment early on, then seek to make that adjustment rather than like, let's just wipe the whole slate clean and do it again. I, I think if you're trying to change the bylaws, uh, man, if, if, that, if you're the first week and you walk in there, <laughs> it's the first, and I literally heard a story uh, from our friend Walker Armstrong the other day. He said in the first few weeks of a, re, of a revitalization, a pastor walked in there and said, all right, we're suspending all the bylaws, right? And they didn't, he didn't, nobody knew him. They didn't know, you know, can we trust this guy? And yeah. he just kind of came in and led with that. And it was a disaster. So I think if, you're, if you are trying to change the bylaws in under a year, um, and it's not one of those situations where you're coming in and they're, they're being changed as you come in, but yeah. if you arrive and then all of a sudden you decide we're going to change the bylaws, Within, within a year's time frame, man, I think that might be a little too soon. Make some adjustments, do, do a few things differently, work on the culture to get it changed and, and to change the culture to, to mirror how you want the church to make decisions and be led. If you can do that within the span of a year to 18 months to two years, I think you're probably pretty good. If the bylaws are not just a disaster and you can make some adjustments then make those adjustments within the, the time frame of 12 months to 24 months. If you have the culture shifted uh, even before then, it may not be as imperative to change the bylaws in the first three years. I think it's, it, the key is, is it, is it hindering the work that God wants to do here? Right. right? And if there's some adjustments that you can make, make those adjustments. I, I do think the, the one thing that is so hard for some of our folks is this whole eligibility to vote. Right. right, because if you're doing a revitalization, 
and that's different than a replant. You know, the revitalization is uh, slow changes over time. You don't necessarily change all the governance. If, if you're facing a vote uh, on a key issue and you've got a, a bylaw structure that allows people who have not participated or prayed over the decision uh, or about it, who are being informed and recruited by people who are opposed to the decision, if you don't have a mechanism in place to protect your church against that, that can be very detrimental to the church moving forward. That may be something that you begin to address at some point uh, in, in, in the process. So I think you have to be wise, maybe a little more cautious, be slower in your approach unless you are like just at a critical nature where you can't do ministry uh, yeah. or you're in danger of, um, you know, there's just something bad that, that is, uh, could happen. Good question. Thanks, Wesley. Thanks, Wesley. All right. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Uh, we always want to thank our sponsor, 180 Digital. Does your church need a new website or logo? 180 is the ministry partner you need to help move your church forward. They've been working with churches and businesses for over 10 years and have solutions for churches, both big and small. They also offer support options to help you run your website. Go to 180digital.com to learn more. They've got a special offer for Replant Bootcamp listeners only that will be 20% off any website or branding project. All you have to do is mention Replant Bootcamp. Have a great day. See you next Wednesday.